0: This episode is brought to you by FX's The Bear. The hit series returns with Jeremy Allen White in the Golden Globe winning role of Carmi. He and the team will
1: transform their family sandwich shop into a next level spot, all while being forced to come together in new ways as they confront their past and reckon with who they want to be in the future. FX's The Bear. All episodes now streaming, only on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Certified Piedmontese Beef. Listen up, foodies. Make your next meal even better with real Nebraska beef. They have healthy, tender, delicious Italian heritage beef, grass-fed and sustainably raised on lush pastures in the Midwest. You can even create your own personally curated meat box that's shipped right to your door. To get two free steaks with any purchase over $50, use the code FREEBEEF at checkout. Learn more and shop exclusively at cpbeef.com. Hello and welcome to One for the Road with me, Sober Dave. I'm going to be talking to some incredible guests over the next few weeks, all of whom have made the decision to look at their relationship with alcohol and take steps towards a positive change. My guests are all at different points in their journey, but all have powerful and uplifting stories to share. And that's why I hope you find each episode a valuable source of inspiration and insight This season's podcast is sponsored by a great new startup called Tweak Life They have built a well-being hub full of useful information of tweaks that you can make including mindfulness nutrition exercise, managing addictions, improving your finances and even the menopause. The last few years have been really tough for us all and with this in mind, Louise created this hub hoping to help individuals and businesses offer this to their employees and apply some of these tweaks to make a difference to people's lives. This is free to use, so for more information please go to tweaklife.co.uk My guest today grew up in a family of talented musicians and he started playing with the local jazz bands at the age of 13 until he landed a full-time gig touring all over Europe. With this, his drinking rapidly spiralled out of control and eventually became so bad that at the age of 25, he had to make the choice to stop drinking or he would die. Now four years later, he discusses how stopping drinking has not only saved his life but has enabled him to completely turn his whole life around. So please welcome the incredibly talented and the loveliest guy ever, Mr. Jack Cotterall. Yeah. Yeah. Hello, Jack. Welcome to One for the Road. How are you today, my mate? All
0: right, Dave. Yeah, absolutely wonderful. <laughs>
1: Good lad, <laughs> you've been busy, haven't you? have just come back from Italy.
0: Yeah, I've um I've been spending some time out there this summer. Um, went out at the start of last month, July, July the fifth. Um, yeah, to get a bit of sun. I, I fucking hate the winter and miserable weather and which is normally what it's like in the UK. Although it's been hot this summer here, but um so yeah, I thought I'd go out to Italy for a few weeks, ride my motorbike, live the dream, you know.
1: <laughs> you got a cool motorbike, mate. I know that. Yeah. <laughs> I've never do you know what? I've never ever been on a motorbike on my own. Like I've never You're not? my no, my dad put me off when I was really young. And I bought um a Hillman Hunter when I was sixteen. Don't tell yes. the feds, but I drove it home from Wimbledon. I hadn't even passed my test, right? And uh, when I got it home, my dad put it up on the ramps and all the chassis was falling out. It was just a complete <laughs> old banger. So that was my experience. So I should have kept to a motorbike. But anyway, Lovely. mate, um, we met the other day, didn't we, in the 100 Club. That's the first yeah. time we met, although we uh, follow each other on Instagram. And we met through Adrian Cox because... um he was hosting the Joe Webb um, album launch that evening. And we got on like yeah. we've known each other for years, didn't we? Yeah. Um, yeah. And you're a wee lad. Um, a wee and lad. I love I loved the company that um, we shared that evening. So I asked you that evening to join me today uh, on this podcast, which I'm really honoured to have you on as a guest. So thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Brilliant and and you've got an interesting story as well so let's go as I like to say all the way back to uh, how it was you growing up and where you were, shed your childhood and what that looked like.
0: Yeah so I grew up in a place called Allsager which is in deepest Cheshire um, right on the border of Stoke-on-Trent. I'd say Cheshire because it sounds a bit more classy than (laughs) Stoke-on-Trent but um, yeah so I've I grew up here, I lived here all my life, and I'm still here currently. Um, spent since a lot of time on the road and living in sort of different places. And like, as just like being in Italy, spent a few weeks over there. And yeah, but um, so yeah, born and bred Cheshire. So yeah, I, I was quite lucky, really. I had quite a good upbringing. But the one big thing is sadly my dad died when I was the age of four. But aside from that, Everything else in my life, I'd say, was pretty bloody good. Um, Mm. So, but yeah, brought up just by my mum. No one else was involved with my mum after that. But I guess all the stuff to do with my dad, uh, dying at such a young age, um, definitely went on to impact my life Mm. a Mm. lot. I don't really remember too much from that time, but I do remember the day I was told he was dead um the age of four i remember being taken out of school and yeah all that sort of stuff um i had a sister so i've got a younger sister ella and she literally just been born she was born in the january of 1997 and he died i think it was the april so she was four months i think i think that's right um so yeah apart from that My life upbringing, I guess, up until the age of 10, 11, 12, was really quite normal. And my mum's fucking brilliant. She's just the best, really sort of liberal and sort of do what you want. And I've always had the freedom, I guess, to explore the things I wanted to explore. Apart from the obvious, life was quite good. Money was a little bit tight and stuff like that. But luckily, there's some money in the family, so we've always had a bit of help from that sort of stuff. Mm. But, yeah, school. School was definitely... uh, something I didn't like.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like most of us.
0: Like most of us. I I really did hate it with a passion because it's always stopped me from doing what I wanted to do. And then yeah, primary school I had, I guess, a lot of the issues coming up from my dad and I was so angry. I was such an angry child at the sort of end of primary school age. And also being quite I've always been wanting to be the best at stuff. And I transpires all throughout my life. But at school I always felt I'd be the top of my class and then they say, well, we can't really do, there's not much more you can do, more work, but I, I want to do more challenging stuff. So when they said, oh, no, you can't do that, I'd just lose interest, which then would create a bad vibe at school and then I'd start misbehaving. And But it got to the point where I just didn't want to be there. And luckily my mum was fully on board with that, but yeah, to the point where, having meetings with teachers, I ended up being, I think this. I'm right in saying this, I must have been quite at the age of nine or ten, but um, I remember one of the teachers in my primary school, I think it was the headmaster, said, no, you've got to come in, Jack, you've got to come into school. And I was just like, fuck that, and end up kicking him.
1: what oh, is that
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, that sort of level of retaliation, rebellion, I guess, to it.
1: Was that a reaction from your dad dying, do you think, like the anger?:
0: It was definitely part of it. yeah. Mm. I was just the most angry kid, and I think I didn't really understand why it happened mm. at that age and uh, yeah, so I think my mum took me out of primary school for the last say six months of it. I never did my. Can't remember what they're called at that age. Your tests, but um, I never did any tests at the end of primary school. Um, and then, yeah, went back into education at high school. At the age, I'm not really sure the ages of when Is eleven? Yeah. And at this point, I was, I guess, I was quite healthy. I was really into tennis. That's what I wanted to do before. Tell you more about labour before I discovered music. And yeah, I wanted to be a tennis coach and I was massively into, I'm an addict for fruit. so anything I like, which gives me pleasure, I want to do it all the time, <laughs> like most of us are. <laughs> yeah, All that nothing, nice yeah. Yeah. doesn't matter what it is, I want to do it, all of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, high school. So I went into high school still with the same idea of school. I did not want to be there because at this stage, I just wanted to play tennis 24-7 and I was quite good at it. So I could, I knew that I could probably get somewhere with it. Anyway, that was that from this point, I'm now a musician, but I've always had music in my life. My dad was a professional drummer. Um, my granddad was a professional drummer. Um, and then even going back further than that, my uncles are musicians. My great granddad was a French, was a French or tenor horn player in Foden's band, which was a big brass band wow. in, uh, Samba, or Elworth in Cheshire. Uh, Foden's is in the truck company. So yeah, there's always been music in the family, and when my dad died, we had all the drums in the house still, but I was never really, it was never something I felt like I had to do. I was ne- it was never forced upon me, it was like, right, you have to play the drums. And so I guess around the sort of age of 10, 11, I started to get a bit more interest for it. And then, yeah, started school, and I think I was age 11 or 12, and then my granddad died, who was my dad's dad at the age of 62 so my dad was 32 going back a bit I guess my dad died of drinking the lifestyle of being on the road as a musician so and then that's what my granddad also died of in term of yeah heart it was heart disease but a lifetime of drinking 20 pints of beer a night and smoking 50 cigarettes and so, um, but yeah, he sadly died then, I guess I was about 11, 12. And I remember going to his funeral, which was just full of musicians. It was just a big fucking party, really. Um, and yeah, our friend Adrian Cox was there because he knew my granddad quite well.
1: <laughs> he would <there>. uh, Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, so, um, and I was, yeah, quite young at that age, but I remember being in the atmosphere of the drinking the partying the music and yeah that really got me I was like fucking hell this is what I want to do and yeah just that whole atmosphere of fun which well what I thought was fun at the time and I guess it was fun at the time so that was that and that's when I first properly discovered music in that form and then that just made the whole going to school thing even worse because I became absolutely obsessed. I forgot about tennis quite quickly. I was going to say, Uh, did I go
1: out the window? The tennis racket was in the bin within about 10
0: minutes. Yeah, Yeah. well, I still have a huge love for it, and I play very occasionally now, but I found my calling, so to speak, I think. Um, Mm. And then I think at that age, I always had older friends, and even from the primary school age, the last couple of years of primary school, I used to be quite into skateboarding and that. I used to go out. My mum used to let me go out. I'm a skateboarding into the town and I'd hang out with people, I guess who were probably about 16, 17 at that age. And they're all starting to smoke, smoke weed and drink a few beers. And even then I started to dabble in that, but then I found tennis and I was like, no, I'm going to be super fit. But then I guess once I found the music, I went straight back to that thing. And that's when I'd say 11, 12, 13, I would start going out, meet some of these friends and yeah still getting pissed at the weekend and i started dabbling and smoking weed as well which was never really my thing i did it because everyone else was doing it and i guess it was that whole peer pressure thing but my thing has always been drinking so yeah that's about the age when i first started to school. At my granddad's funeral i remember having a few points some of the music was oh go on jack have a few beers do you know what i mean and it's i was like fucking great i felt like part of the club
1: how old was you again at your so that, granddad's
0: funeral i to i don't remember the exact dates right i think it was about 11 or 12. DL,
1: that's just, that's, that sums it up doesn't it
0: yeah exactly <laughs> well to give you a background of my dad and my granddad they were really quite well known in the jazz world i'm a jazz musician they were jazz yeah. musicians and um they were known for their party element of their lives and everyone knew especially my granddad is like his name was Pete, Pete Cottrell, the big fucking drinker, really big, fat bastard. It must have been about 25 stone at his biggest. Smoked big cigars and, yeah, carried mm. around each. So he'd wear shirts with um, two pockets on the front, and he'd have two, a pint in each one of those, and then he carried two pints. So he'd have four pints oh on God. the <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a larger-than-life character. So I grew up thinking that music was all about that because even though i never i don't remember seeing my dad play at all i remember briefly seeing my granddad play uh, but i had all my dad used to actually document stuff with videos so i had all these videos i used to watch when i was a kid a lot of it was them playing but obviously a lot of it was behind the scenes as well and It was them just getting fucking asshole. so then my immediate association is out with music is alcohol and yeah. the party yeah I was quite young when I first started realizing that. And yeah, Mm. having my first drink. So don't actually remember my first drink. It was way before that. And I think it was probably the end of primary school with these older people. But then, yeah, I remember 12, 13, I'd say was the age when I was like really discovering it. And my nan, so my granddad's wife on my dad's side, she used to take me down to the local pub where they'd have jazz on every thursday night i think it was and um i'd go and i'd play a few numbers with the band but what i was really more interested in was getting pissed at the bar in the local pub and i used to get bought pints and mild because it looked the closest thing to a pint of coke so you could sort of hide it discreetly and that was that and that's what got my music career started i was practicing like fuck all the time but 13 14 was the time I sort of got playing with a few bands, and then I got a call at the age of 14 from a band. It was based in Nottingham, so it wasn't that close, but it was band between the people between the ages of 40 to 60, mm. and I was 14, 15 at this time. All pretty big drinkers. So, yeah, that's the real big start into that world and life of uh, yeah, drinking and partying.
1: Did you feel like you grew up quicker, being that you didn't have your dad around?
0: I'd say 100% yes. Yeah, I think you're forced into growing up quicker. Yeah. Especially when it's just my mum on my own with a younger sister. But then I think, on the other hand, I wanted to grow up quicker.
1: Yeah. You didn't fit into the child mindset. No. <laughs> you know, like with primary school and whatever, you just didn't want to be there. It's almost like you wanted to be and to be honest, when I met you, you are an old soul in a young body. You know, you yeah. You know, you're quite a mature chap for your age and that. And uh maybe that's part of it, you growing up younger, but to start a bit like Adrian Cox, he I think he was 14, 15 when he started in that band and they were all older. And you have to fit in, don't you? And part of the fitting in is the drinking, because you want to keep up with it all, don't you?
0: Yeah, it's that thing of being part of the club, and it's like you, you, you feel like you have to prove yourself. And it's like, this is what you have to do to be part of this world. And looking back at it, it's fucking mental, really. At mm. that age, it's like adults, of all ages being on board with someone like myself or adrian at such a young age getting out of our fucking heads but then i guess these people were doing the same thing themselves so they were really aware of the consequences and i think a lot of them still aren't aware of the consequences because sadly a lot of people have died and um a lot of people are sort of trapped in that world of Addiction and still in the same life. Do you know what I mean? Not everyone's fortunate to escape it. But yeah, it was the real start of life to come for the next foreseeable future. But I definitely do. Even now, I don't really feel like I've had a childhood.
1: So, did you did you move away or did you stay in this band and travel from home? What how did that work?
0: So, what happened then? I joined this band, and luckily, my mum was on board with that.
1: She Uh, sounds uh, amazing, by the way.
0: Yeah, she's fucking brilliant. Like, honestly, to this day, I couldn't ask for a better mum. She's yeah. the fucking best. So yeah, I joined this band, which is based in Nottingham. I still stayed out at my mum's in Cheshire. Um, I obviously didn't drive at this age. I wasn't old enough. So I'd, I had a drum kit based in over in Nottingham. So I'd often get the train across and get a lift for one of those. Or oh, my mum would give me a lift when she could. Or family. My nan helped me out loads. I basically just asked in help off everyone to get to these gigs because I still had to go to school, which (laughs) was a bit of a problem. So I ended up having so much time off school at the age of 14, going into 15. The school got really pissed off. And it it wasn't because they actually gave a shit about my education, it's because it looked bad on their records. And they basically said it got to the point where they said You either fuck off the music and come into school full time and stop having all this time off or you leave the school and you figure something else out. Basically they'll kick me out and we obviously have to be in the UK, we have to be in education full time. It was then to the age of 16 and now I think it's 18 some form of education but um, luckily for me it was sixty if it was 18 fuck knows what i would have done but we found a loophole, which meant that i could be homeschooled by my mum so um yeah i think it was the the very start of maybe the last year of school or halfway through the second to last year i can't actually really remember bear in mind a lot of this is a bit of a blur because i was getting shit-faced at this point in my life um, um doing all these gigs and having late nights and Getting in at two, three AM in the morning, and having to get up at nine, well, eight AM for school mm. um, with a fucking hangover. We took the decision after a meeting that I was going to be homeschooled by my mum. But the one, the the final straw was in. I had uh, a music class, and I won't name any names, but this one particular teacher. Obviously, a lot of music teachers, and this is not all music teachers, but. They teach because they haven't made it as a, a professional performing musician. I know a lot of teachers teach because they love the job. So it doesn't apply to them. But in this circumstance, it was definitely someone who was bitter about not making it as a professional musician mm, in a, mm. a life sense. Um, it was all known amongst the school that I did what I did and I was on the road and I was sort of amongst some people, a bit strange because I would play jazz music, music, which was what old people like. And mm. people would take the piss out of me for that. Which, to be honest, at the time, I couldn't care less because I was earning more money than the parents. (laughs) Um, So I was thinking, well, (laughs) I don't know why you're taking the piss out of me. But then on the other hand, a lot of people were like, oh, my God, that's so cool. And so it was one day in a a music class and uh, this teacher said to me, he said, oh, Joe, Will you get up in front of the class and do a drum solo? And I said, no, fuck that, because that is my worst nightmare, and still is. <laughs> 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 Playing to like people I know in a very close area, um, like really close friends and stuff, it, it, I find that intimidating. I'd rather play on a stage to 200,000 people. So I said, no, I'm not doing that. And he got really angry, and he said, well, he's like, I don't think you're ever going to make it as a professional musician. And that I just saw red. And again, I was still angry at this age. I I got involved in a lot of fights at high school. It'd take one thing of someone saying something to me, I'd turn around and just hit him square in the face. And I was a big guy at school, um, compared to other people. And I, I was so angry because I didn't want to be there because at this point it really was stopping me playing mm. music as much as I could. And I knew it was holding me back. And I still believe that. I think if I'd left even earlier I might even be further ahead. But it doesn't matter but so yeah this teacher said that and I, I just went for him i was like right fuck it you're having it and luckily one of my <laughs> good friends had sort of stepped in the way held me back Said, jack i think it's time to leave so it was that day that was the last day i ever went to school i told my mum obviously about it she went and went fucking mental at the whole the head of the school and yeah it was the area i'm from i guess it's quite split all Sager, but it's, there's a lot of money there I think and it attracts that middle class sort of vibe and the school was very much like that so mm-hmm. they think oh musician well it's not a proper job so at that point I sat out and luckily I had this effect on me of I'm going to prove them all wrong and so that's basically what I've gone on to try and do my whole life and I still walk past that school today thinking thank fuck I'm not there but it's like well look at me now after all the things you said I wouldn't achieve I've achieved it
1: it's amazing isn't it how many times it happens you you won't do this and and I think it was um Christina Aguilera was bullied at school for for years and years and then she knew this girl worked in a McDonald's drive through and went mm. through in a chauffeur driven car it's like <laughs> I'll have a cheeseburger and chicken. Cheese please it's fabulous i love it yeah. yeah yeah so um that carried on then and um when did your drinking get to a stage uh that was really bad
0: i think it's always been pretty bad and i just didn't realize it so like everything in my life if i like to do it i'm doing it and i'm doing it all the fucking time and i'm going to do it the best i possibly can i I wanted to be the best at everything, not because I want to show, like, it's not an egotistical thing. I think it's because I want to prove to myself that I can do these things. So, yeah, 14, 15, I was on the, in this band on the road. And it, at the time, it was a really busy band. We'd be doing 15 to 20 gigs a month, staying in Travel Lodge hotels at the side of the motorway. We'd drive all day, do a gig. I Yeah, yeah. <laughs> living, living the life of luxury.
1: <laughs>
0: and then, yeah, we'd get back to the hotel. And I used to room with two guys who were really good friends. One is sadly dead now, um, the other's still about. And we were drinking partners as much as we were colleagues. So, yeah, started drinking a lot then. I can't really remember the quantities, but it was enough to pass out an adult, I guess. And I built up a tolerance so quick. And I think, as much as the drumming was in me and my blood from my family, I think the drinking was too. I definitely think it's something inherent, you inherent the tolerance as well. It's, I
1: think it's that and learned behaviour. What was you drinking?
0: So back then, I started on beer, but I quickly realised I didn't really like beer. I was drinking beer because that's what everyone thought I should drink. Then I got on to cider, and I used to be really into Westerns cider. Mm. My uncle got me into it when I was, again, about 15. And we used to make one, Henry Weston's. It was one yeah. of the black bottle, yeah. 8.2% and yeah. you could uh, buy three bottles for 5 pound and what's yeah. fucking mental you could still buy three bottles for 5 pound in 10 years yeah. <laughs> it's not going up with inflation <laughs> um, but um so I started drinking a lot of that and then I discovered wine so you can see the the pattern here it's getting stronger and stronger and stronger so then I'd buy for after a gig two or three bottles of wine i'd be drinking on the gig a few drinks i'd always on a gig i'd try and not get too shit-faced because i was so paranoid about playing shit because at the end of the day music's always been what the thing which really had come first so then but then after the gig had finished that'd be it right bang i am getting fucking paralytically pissed as quick as i possibly can so yeah at this point i was drinking wine a lot of the time anything i could get my hands on but Wine was my go-to. You buy three bottles for a tenner back then.
1: Yeah, and that's Uh, probably not the same now. But, like, it's interesting what you say there, that when you finish the gig, you would get as pitched as you can because I'd share a Delican bass player of um, the Gorillas on. And uh, that's what he struggles with the most now is after the gig because you've got the massive adrenaline from the gig. And then from that, it was a bit like when I was on the TV makeover show. You'd finish mm. and you would all drive like lunatics to the hotel so you would get yeah. absolutely out of your head. And it's yeah. like, now we don't drink. It's like, well, is that not enough? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Fact, you <laughs> had a, a really, really good gig. You played the drums well. And yeah. It's like an odd mindset when you come out of it, isn't it? It's like... Yeah. It's a,
0: it, t- it takes a long time to come down from yeah. that, doesn't it? It's like... Yeah. And I guess it's finding ways to manage that. Uh, yeah, even channel that that energy into. it. like last night, I had a gig, and uh, it was in terms of gig times. It finished. I was home by midnight. It was quite early. And I was like, shit, I don't really feel like going to sleep. So then I sat up and I had some admin work to do. I did that till two, three a.m. So then I put that, and then I was tired. Went to bed. Um, so I get put that energy into that
1: sort of stuff i'll do the same though is it i mean no <laughs> the thing this is where people struggle sometimes and uh sometimes it's accepting that like i'm a bit of a bugger for being honest right and sometimes i yep. say there actually isn't anything that you can replace it it the void but no. sometimes you just have to do the best you can with it do you know what i mean so 100 percent. you know because there's that huge high from the gig, and then there's the, the immediately the two, three bottles of wine. You, yeah, I can keep this going yeah. until you pass out. But then yeah. the consequences after are hideous, aren't they?
0: Yeah, it's the fucking absolute worst.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, mate. You went from the Henry Western ciders that were my go-to and my little trick. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, yeah, absolutely right. Well, back in the day when I was younger, it was Diamond White yeah um, and you could get eight cans for fiverr and get apps it was like literally pouring like paraffin down your neck yeah it would do the job right but my trick with the henry Westons, i used to just scratch a little bit on the label where the 8.2 percent was off so no one could see it you know <laughs> so yeah, yeah um so, and it's a cumulative, it goes to show it's a cumulative, because you started on the mild, then you went on to the wine, side, yeah. the cider, then on to the wine. Exactly.
0: And then, I guess, by the time I got to 18, which was the legal age to go out and party, I was already a professional drinker. So all my friends, bear in mind, a lot of my friends at home were also quite into drinking from a young age. I've, for some reason, the place where I'm from, I don't know if it's every small town, but it was just fucking right for drinking and drugs. And I'll go on about that more later, but like it's mental how many drugs are here now, even more so than the city. It's just, but so I don't know if it's that thing, oh, there's nothing to do in this small town. Mm. Let's get out of our heads. It could be that, but it seemed particularly bad in Alsager. Uh, anyway, but so yeah, 18. I think it really started to spiral out of control because at that point I was making quite decent money. I was doing a lot of gigs. I didn't have any overheads. And apart from my car, um, I passed my test at 17. My mum made me do it because, um, no one wanted to give me lifts anymore because it was taking their life up as, as and well. So you
1: uh, passed first time, right? I did first time. You,
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> um So yeah, it there was one moment in which, looking back now, I don't know how I didn't realise this was an issue, but I had a gig in Denmark, and I was seventeen. So I remember because I'm not long past my driving test, and I had a really horrible early morning flight from Stansted Airport three hours from my house and it was yeah one of these Ryanair flights at like half past six in the morning the cheap takeoff time but mm-hmm. so I like, oh god I've, I've never been an early morning person ever more so these days actually but when I was drinking I was so far from it so like, what I'm going to do is I'll drive down the night before and I'll put a mattress like an airbed in the back of my car I had a quite big car and I'll sleep in the back of the car and I'll get up and get the flight got there did that fine went to sleep woke up when I got the flight and the gig I had was in a pub in Aarhus in Denmark. A little tiny pub. And I'd been invited over by a, a there's a trombone player over there I knew. And uh, funnily enough and Cox was there as well. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> we known each other for all our lives pretty well, all my life, but and it was a little tiny gig. And it was just a great pub, and I wanted to go over and do it. But part of the deal was free boots. and uh, you could also smoke inside this pub because this was after the smoking ban in the UK. But in Denmark, and I think it still stands, it was if the pub's under fifty square meters and it doesn't serve food, you can still smoke inside. But what that means is you don't have to leave the pub to get fresh air ever. I've always been a heavy smoker, so um, I get there. I get to this pub. fucking great and I get I think I got there Saturday late morning to the pub the gig wasn't till Sunday afternoon and I was meant to be staying at a friend's house that night it was also at the pub I turned up at the pub and I was like oh what do you want to drink instantly in that atmosphere like right let's get fucking wasted I just sat there and they served a beer called I think it was Cockney Stout and it was about 10 percent they also yeah they had um Western's old rosy cider on draft there as well. So it was all that level of stuff, which I was really into. And I just sat there for fucking hours doing shots at Jägermeister, chain smoking cigarettes. And I just sat there all night in this fucking pub until it got to the point I was like, shit, I feel like I could actually do with a break and go to bed. So I said to the guy I was staying with, I was like, I need to go. And this is like... I think midnight or something. So I've been in there like 12 hours or something. Anyway, so he's like, right. And I sort of knew artist I've been there before and it wasn't, I wasn't totally blind to the city. And he gave me key, his key and he's like, right, you go up there and you go there. Blah, blah, blah So I'm like, right, cool. And I stepped outside the pub and I just remember, bang, all this fucking drinking hit me. And it's a bit strange because I sort of remember a lot of what happened. Which I'm surprised about now, but I don't know if that's something with being so young. It might work differently on the brain, a undeveloped fucking brain. You know what I mean? But I remember stumbling around trying to find where to go, and I just could not process anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I had all I had with me was this little shoulder bag, which had my drumsticks in it, a pair of fucking boxers. I had my phone in my pocket, and my car keys were in my pocket. But everything else, my passport. Everything was in that bag. And I remember just thinking in my head, I said, like, shit. So, like, where am I going to sleep? Because I can't find this place. And I just knew. And for some reason, I thought I was back in Stansted. And I remember I stumbled across this car park. I said, like, shit, that's the car park where I left my car. I remember trying to get into everyone's fucking car with my keys. Like, oh, there's a bed in the back so I could sleep in the back of the car. I'm in the wrong fucking country. i was never going to work. And then I sort of, I ended up at a train station. And this is like getting later and later. I end up in this train station, fall asleep in the waiting room. The next thing I remember is a security guard or a police officer or someone official waking me up. And I had that thing. I fell asleep with my sort of head between my legs facing forward. They woke me up and I just threw up everywhere, including this fucking whoever it was. I got kicked out straight away. I stumbled out and fell asleep in this bus stop. And uh, I remember waking up in the bus stop and it was light. I remember thinking, shit, I need to like go to somewhere I know. I was like, I know where the pub is now. And I was getting, I guess, a bit more sober by this point. I was like, I'll go to the pub. I walked off down the road. And I was like, shit, where's my bag? Someone had either stole it or had left it somewhere I was suffering. I lost my bag with everything in it. So at this point, I don't have a passport. I don't have a driving license. I don't have any bank cards. I have no money. The only thing I have in my car keys is my phone, which is a bit of a blessing um, in the long run. But I, Anyway, I thought, shit, I'll go to the pub, deal with it later. At this point, I get to the pub probably 9am on Sunday morning. The gig starts at 1pm. I walk into the pub and I was like, shit, you all right? I was like, um, and I told them the story and they're like, instantly, do you want a drink? I was like, yeah, fuck it. Straight back on it. Did the gig. I remember the gig actually being quite good and then dealt with the consequences of the whole thing because I had a flight back. I think it was Sunday night, missed the flight, Monday morning. Luckily some of the pub let me stay with them. I was like shit, what we're gonna do. So now I'm a seventeen year old in fucking Denmark with no ID, wondering with no money, wondering how the fuck I'm gonna get back to the UK. And all of that is booze because I've always been a self sufficient Person, even from the age of 13, 14, I could get around the country on my own. and So that was booze, what did it? And at that point, that all seemed quite funny to everyone, including myself. So to cut a long story short, I basically, luckily, one of the local people at the pub gave me some money. They put me up for a week. I had to then go to Copenhagen to the embassy, the British embassy, to get an emergency passport. And yeah, I got home, but about a thousand pounds down when I was going to go out there and make money. Um, with a real big fucking hangover.
1: <laughs> That's <laughs> horrendous. Yeah, I, I, um, I've had many of things when I've gone out to Belgium and that, and and all those beers are like nine, ten percent. Yeah, and I've had a whole. Oh, honestly, I, I don't think I could drink one now. No. But, um, <laughs> moving on, Jack. Obviously, that carried on because you're four years sober now, right? Yeah. So you're 29 you are twenty nine now. I'm
0: 29 now, yeah.
1: Um, So 25, you gave up boozing. At what stage of your life did you realise that actually enough was enough?
0: I guess I got massively into cocaine probably around the age of 21, 22, and that's when shit really started going south because I was never really into cocaine. It was just an enabler to carry on drinking more. Mm more and more and more which i never had a problem with anyway i do fucking 48 hour benders just with boots you throw cocaine into the mix you're up for a week and that then i was drinking some some days i'd drink three bottles of scotch a day plus bottles of red wine Latin. and i'd wake up in the morning and 9 a.m be like right fucking hell bottle of whiskey uh, there was a time I was over, over in Switzerland Switzerland for a week doing some gigs and every morning I'd wake up and have a bottle of Johnny Walker Red Label and that was it. That was breakfast, do you know what I mean? It was at this point people started saying to me, I think you've got a bit of a fucking issue, Jack, and it went from being quite fun, people wanted to drink with me because I was the party person, to like people were really worried about me mm. and like sort of close people, do you know what I mean? People who knew me and know me for a long time, but... But then my reaction to that is, and like how everyone who has an issue is, I like, know, fuck off. And then I'm, like, I'm going to drink more, actually. But then I started to get really depressed. I actually I had a situation where I'd been over in Switzerland, actually, for a week. I hadn't really slept the whole time. And then the last few days, I didn't sleep at all. Got back to the UK. I had a night off in the UK. I didn't, still didn't go to sleep. I got fucking wasted. And uh stayed up all night. And then the next day I had a gig in Leeds. I had to drive to this gig, which, is, again, in hindsight, is stupid. I was must have been so over the limit. Drove to this gig, did the gig. Halfway through, I was like, shit, I, I feel I'm going to die. And I said to the guys, I was like, I can't do this. And I had to walk off stage. And I went and sat in this back room. And I remember looking in the mirror. I was like, fuck, going yellow. I was like, I think this is it. My liver's failing. Because mm-hmm. I'd often get jaundice in my eyes and... I could feel my liver it was all swollen and I've come to realize I had, I think I had something called ascites, which is where you get fluid.
1: Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. You look pregnant.
0: Yeah. I didn't realize what that was actually until in the last year. So I think I was very close to death and I remember driving back that night from that gig. I didn't finish the gig. I went and lay down outside in the end and I was on the M62 and all my left arm started going numb and then my whole body and i was like fuck i was like i'm having a heart attack and then obviously my dad suffered a heart attack that's what happened to him and i thought shit i was like this is it this is me this is happening to me now at the age of what well i was really i was still young do you know what i mean so i called i pulled over on the hard shoulder and called the ambulance i said to him i was like shit i'm having a heart attack And they said, right sent an ambulance out i actually took the ambulance a fucking long time to get there which i was shocked at. Consider I was on the the motorway and potentially having a heart attack. And I came to terms with the fact I was going to die. I was like, fuck it. And at that point, I relaxed. And then all the symptoms started to be relieved. And again, the ambulance turned up. They did loads of tests. And they said, I think you've done a bit too much. But you just had a huge fucking panic attack. And it was at that point I then started after that. I spent about the next four to six weeks in bed. I didn't leave the house. I I couldn't do anything. I was fucked. Basically, I did stop drinking at that point for those weeks. So, but then I suffered with depression and anxiety, and then that coupled with more drinking and more drugs—it was just a vicious circle. So, that was the start of the spiral down. Loads of stuff started to happen, like debt. I was in so, and I still am. I'm still paying the price for it, but I just take out loans and credit cards and tens of thousands of pounds worth of debt just to go out and buy drugs, really, in booze and really dangerous situations I put myself in, which again, all the time I was praised for it. It's a like, fucking hell, jack so cool. He goes,
1: What a lad, you're a legend.
0: Yeah, there's a time I was in in Milan and I'd taken out a consolidation loan to try and sort my debt out, but I added a few grand on extra to, um, have a party and I thought fuck it me and my mate went to Milan next year and I'm in this back room with all these strippers cocaine everywhere bottles of whiskey. it was like something out of a film do you know what mm-hmm. I mean but the difference mm-hmm. was I don't earn millions of pounds mm-hmm. and I I did about two what was it one and a half thousand pounds in space in 20 minutes mm-hmm. and it was just like so yeah I was living quite a quite false life but the final straw I was in I tried to cut down I was um I was like right let's go drink Guinness I've always loved Guinness and it's only 4% or whatever it is, 4.1%. And i have a few pints of Guinness because at this point I was drinking single malt scotch. That's all I'd fucking drink. Or vodka. Or anything the strongest fucking... Even absinthe. I'd go and drink glasses of absinthe, 80%. Mm. Mm. And uh, I tried to cut down. I had a girlfriend at the time, my first serious girlfriend. And yeah, I... I'd drink three pints a Guinness or so, and then it built up. And by the end of it, I was drinking 20 pints of It's a fucking night, which then just cost me a load of money. I wasn't really getting pissed because it was too weak. So then I was like, right, I'm really going to cut down. And then, yeah, September the 29th, 2018, I suffered, I just had a huge blowout in the presence of my girlfriend who hated cocaine and drugs. And so I would always be like, I'm never doing it in front of you. I ended up at a dealer's house somehow who was a sort of mutual friend as well with my girlfriend. And it was just, I'm the big pile of cocaine on the side. I just stuck my head in it fired away. Do you know what I mean? And it was that next day that relationship ended basically because of that. She said, I can't fucking do this. And that's when I realized I was like, shit, I'm a fucking addict and an alcoholic. Mm. And Mm. so it was at that point, obviously so many things, there's never one thing is there? but that's when I realized I've got to fucking sort this out. (laughs)
1: And so, yeah. that, that was that the moment
0: that was the moment it was that next day
1: yeah wow
0: i um so yeah age 25 i spoke to yeah my very good friend adrian cox who
1: yeah you know um well i think people listening to this know as well because he's been yeah. on the podcast and he had quite a similar hectic thing himself but 25 man and and yeah that's quite a story thanks for sharing that no, it's, it's all right. <laughs> um So, how did you deal with it then? Like, because that's quite a catalogue of events leading up to that. So, did you just go cold turkey and stop?
0: Yeah. So, I wasn't drinking as frequently at that stage. I do like every other weekend, I'd have, I'd get a bit pissed. Because prior to that, I would drink, say, like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then it sometimes become Monday as well. Monday is the musician's day off. But then what i do is, because I was always quite aware I didn't want to be this fucking person who's pissed all the time because I knew that I couldn't do my stuff. So there was something that kicked in. this. I've got to have at least a few days sober. But all I was doing each week was withdrawing. I'd have all the withdrawals. Mm. So each week I was going into cold turkey, which is the worst fucking thing you can do. Mm. But luckily, by the time I actually stopped, got to the point where I was like, right, I've got to stop, I wasn't quite there of the physical dependence. Mm. I dealt with that prior. But I went and spoke to Adrian and I said, look, man, because I knew he was in recovery. Um, I was like, I've got a real fucking, I was in a right mess. I was suicidal at this point. I don't think I was going to act on it, but I was having those thoughts. I was at level of depression and, and thank fuck. I spoke to Adrian because I owe him my life. Really. It's, um, I went, he's like, right, I'll come down. I'll come up to you from, he was in London at the time, straight away. I was like, that man, I, I, I prefer to get away from my situation. I'll come down to you. So I went down to see Adrian straight away. And he said, he's like, I know you're not going to believe this right now or you can see it or anything. He's like, but you just got to trust me. He's like, put your trust in me. And he's like, you will feel better. He's like, it'll take a long time, but you will. And he gave me all the relevant advice and support. And has to this day, he's still support. And I guess he's a bit like my sponsor, so to speak. Mm. Um and and then after that, I went to the doctors and I said, like I I went and I I was like, I think I'm an alcoholic. I'm fucked. And to be totally honest, they were fucking useless. I lost so much respect for that side of the NHS stuff that day and my onward journey with that. So because they said, right, okay, well, there was a charity in the area they put me onto, which was funded by the government or whoever but they'd recently cut a lot of funding so anyway i got it took me about two months to be seen and i got there and they said what you're not drinking now i said no i I haven't been drinking for two months and they said well we can't help you then we just help you get off not the ongoing support for fuck's sake what a waste of time so that was that so my main support really was adrian i know a lot of other musicians who are sober too i managed to find someone through a separate alcohol charity which it was like it wasn't therapy, but it was someone else who was an alcoholic, but it was one on one. And I went into total pragmatic mode and then trust of what Adrian said and did all the, the right things I guess to get my shit together. And luckily because I want to be the best at everything and I get addicted to stuff, I think I got addicted to sobriety.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say that. Yeah. <laughs> so it totally went the other way. It's like Yeah. But that's and- what I've done, mate. Like I'm the side same- I mean, a lot of people I talk to are all or nothing people, you mm. know. So I often say to them, "You've got the you've got the ability to turn this around the other way now." Yeah, what you've done.
0: Exactly. And if you throw that energy, this the amount of time and energy drinking and partying takes up. If you can throw even ten percent into that, into like sorting your shit out, you're going to be one of the most successful people in the world.
1: Yeah,
0: because. Partying like that is so exhausting. So yeah, the first I remember, the first hundred days was hell. I just remember thinking that is what is the point in any of it. And I remember seeing a bit of light, I guess, at the end of the tunnel. I oh okay, it's a glimpse. And it got to six months, and I was in the car with a a musician on the way back from a gig, and I was like, fuck. And I, I had a bit of like an epiphany, I guess. I was like, shit. And I felt like I was on drugs, but it was a natural high oh, yeah and, and i'd done a good gig and i was like Shit, all that hard work is paying off and again it wasn't like life was immediately fantastic but i had that thing and it was like fucking brilliant mm. and i will never forget that moment and that is one of the things which helps keep me sober is mm. having that feeling and all that absolutely fucking amazing stuff which comes with being sober and recovering or abstaining from something you felt like you were powerless over because mm. someone said to me even four years ago from now you're going to be sober in however long i would have told them to fuck off and <laughs> laughed at them I, I, <laughs>
1: yeah. I, I hear you mate i mean i was drinking for 40 years and that i thought that was it i thought i'd have um a funeral with all the barmen around the bloody grave Do you yeah know what i mean more yeah, than yeah. loss of my income but yeah And did you find your music then improved, obviously, because, like, that must have had an impact?
0: Yeah. (laughs) I think I was one of the lucky ones who could still function and be totally normal and play normal even though I was blackout pissed because there was one occasion where one of my friends and musicians thought, you know what, I'm going to film Jack to show him what. And because he knew that I wouldn't remember this particular gig and he filmed a whole set of the gig and it's still on YouTube somewhere. And there's, there's actually, there's clips of me, I'm playing along one stick swinging out a bottle of wine with the other. And uh, I don't remember a fucking thing from that night. Yeah. And um, anyway, my playing was actually all right. But yeah, since I stopped, cause I thought it was going to suffer, I've always liked the pain was drinking course because it gave given me sort of inspiration to put into music, and quite cliche, I guess, but mm. it's always worked. I, I play from the heart. And, but when I started to get better from drinking and feel the benefits of not drinking, my playing just went so much better. And even the, it, every fucking year, there's improvement, whereas before it was staying where it was. And I think that applies to every part of life. When you're drinking, you're not necessarily moving forward. You're going backwards if anything with the level of drinking people like us were doing if at best you're staying in the same place and that massively applies to music and i was under an illusion that i thought i was going to get worse but it is not the case i'm playing better than i have ever done and it's because i now have the the power and the clarity in my head to be able to do that and absorb stuff and i'm not numb anymore so
1: so when you like um a session musician are you like
0: I'm a freelance live musician. Right, okay. So
1: when you freelance with these bands, are are the majority of them drinkers?
0: Yeah, so a lot of that jazz world is some of the worst, actually, for drinking. Not necessarily drugs, but drinking. It is so fucking normal, and I guess like the rest of society, it's... It's weird if you don't drink, and it's the only thing you have to justify. The yeah. only drug you have to justify not taking, like, yeah. it's fucking mental, really. And I'm really against that now. But I used to be one of those wankers who'd be like, "Oh, come on, I oh, what just just have a fucking drink." And but I now know that was to make myself feel better about my yeah, own drink. Well, we've so.
1: all done that. I mean, I I I look back at me, uh, how hide, I was a cliche drinker. Of what? Well, why are you even out then if you're not drinking? Yeah. Do you know what yeah, I
0: mean? Exactly. Yeah, that world is very much like that and is still like that. And I think it will die like that. I've recently got into, since the pandemic, because the jazz scene didn't come back with the same force as it used to. So to make a bit of money and make a living, I got into working alongside DJs playing percussion in nightclubs. So then to walk into a nightclub, Stone Cold Sober, and I've always hated nightclubs anyway. I'd like a quiet, dingy, dark bar. Stone Cold Sober to stand up on my own in front of all these people who are fucked out of their heads and uh, play something I'm not massively confident in, that was quite an empowering situation because that gave me so much confidence mm. to be able to be in that situation where a lot of people are drinking. There's a lot of drugs in that world. So a lot of people take cocaine to stay awake in that, that industry of the musician side of it rather than get pissed because that mm. just makes you tired. tired. But mm. I think... In a weird sort of way, if I was in a situation where I could totally cut off from the world of drink and drugs, I would have done because it would have been easier. But because of my work, I've had to be exposed to it. I think that's made me stronger in my recovery and sobriety. Mm. And now I walk into these situations and I feel so fucking powerful to be able to be stood there sober. And mm. people are coming up like, go on, just have a drink. It's like, no, fuck off. And to be able to say, yeah, I get quite blunt with people in the nightclub situations. <laughs> um, mm. But or even people coming up offering me cocaine, I've walked into the toilet, into the cubicles, and there's been a, just a fucking lying on the side. And to actually, I could do that and no one would ever know. Mm. But I still have luckily I have Sophia and like, no, I'm not doing that.
1: Well, you'd be lying to yourself, wouldn't you? exactly which is the worst yeah yeah
0: <laughs> so um yeah i'm massively surrounded by all that all the time on a daily basis and yeah i can't lie it gets tiresome and i think a lot of the time i wish i was but that's the world we live in and we can't change that
1: can we and it's constant work because we're surrounded by it uh, we are wherever we go and and you know you're a musician i've had a few on here james vet Death of Anna. he, he was yeah. so pissed one night on a on a gig that he was singing into a microphone that wasn't there. It was 10 foot away. Yeah, uh, And his mate went "I <laughs> said, do you know the mic's over there? Isn't it? You know, like, but more and more musicians and artists and people in the industry are choosing sobriety now, you know? And it's
0: yeah, quite thing. But, but I think musicians especially are rebellious. There's something about it which is rebellion. And I think... It's becoming the way to rebel is to not drink these mm. days because society is so geared up towards it. Like, mm. stuff I've really started to realize more recently after doing more research on it. And I, I read Catherine Gray's latest book. I can't remember what it's called, actually, the latest one. She, the first one, I find uh,
1: sober. That one, the... That one.
0: Yeah. yeah. And it, have you read it?
1: Yeah, I have. It's really good. Yeah. Actually.
0: And there's a lot of facts in there, isn't there? Yeah. About stuff which fucking blew my mind. And I was. Yeah three and a half years into
1: surprises. Yeah. Interesting um, (laughs) conversation about the disease area, which, you know, I'm on uh, with that, you know, yeah. That's another podcast in itself, but
0: yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah. So stuff how the whole world is like based upon the alcohol, especially the, well, the Western world. Yeah. It's like, hotels you take alcohol away it's like fucking oh restaurants football match everything music I I host events and I host events in churches not because I'm a religious but because I think they're beautiful venues. Yeah and but a big problem I come up against a lot of the time is um it's they're always bring your own drinks events. A lot of churches, Methodist churches there's no alcohol allowed so I can't then put on an event then because as much as I love to have no alcohol I have to have alcohol there. There's no one would fucking come. <laughs> I, 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 I bet
1: I could get it filled up, trust me. Yeah,
0: yeah, I bet you could. Yeah, <laughs> um, but it's that is just how it is. I think yeah. and it's definitely becoming more and more accepted to not drink and yeah. uh, like stuff like even meeting people through your Instagram page and all these online societies or whatever you want to call them there's um there is a big community out there and it's a bloody fucking good one oh, I see it's huge like yeah.
1: you know I could talk for hours about what you said about the lack of um help that people yeah. get with the doctors and stuff like that is an absolute joke and yeah. and uh how many um funding's been cut it's it's horrendous and and yeah I like to think that the online community can offer uh safe space for people to explore to Brighton yeah. and, and reach out as well. There's so many different things you can do nowadays. And it's definitely turning. Uh, it's a slow cog, but it's turning. Yeah. And like I was going to say, and um, that night in the hundred club, I don't, I don't think anyone was pissed, like, No, I honestly don't. And, and everyone was having such, I mean, Joe Webb's amazing anyway, but yeah. the band, uh, it was fantastic. And people didn't need drink. Do you know what I mean? It was just a lovely, lovely aura going on in that room. You know, I mean, it's that kind of venue anyway, but. Yeah you know I, I i just think things are you can enjoy yourself about drugs and booze and you have to experience it to realize it because when you're drinking you're like what are you talking about you have to get pierced pre-drinks whatever but once you start to experience it you can really see what what it's like yeah. to rip the blinkers off and see life in its full glory you know
0: well you're not numbed are you it's no. you you feel more raw to everything else but i was- I'm, I told you when I saw you the day, I remember when I first started to get a bit of clarity after being sober, and I, I walked down my road where I've been my whole life and I saw some trees I've never fucking seen. I thought,
1: shit, really oh, they've been, they, they yeah. work, least,
0: No <laughs> <laughs> They've been here for fucking 200 years. I just, <laughs> i've only just yeah. seen them <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I just see, it's like shit
1: yeah. what um what's next for you you're four years sober. you're 29 you're a great fantastic musician what what's next
0: i'm currently so yeah i've just come back from italy on the bike i actually filmed a load of footage from it on a gopro i've done a vlog which is quite an honest vlog and i'd quite like to get into that side of stuff to show you an insight of being on the road not just on a motorbike but my traveling to gigs and the unglamorous side which is most of the time of being a musician so i'm working on that at the moment moving forward my events putting stuff back on which is what i was doing before the pandemic so i put jazz concerts on in beautiful venues basically around cheshire at the moment having to expand and then yeah me and adrian cox have got a fair few things in the pipeline actually quite exciting things which i'm not going to say anything about yet but there's all that So life's actually really exciting. It's, um, yeah, it's really, there's a few shit things happening. I'm sadly going for a breakup at the moment, but fortunately, I think if I was drinking, it'd be a totally different story. I wouldn't be sat here talking to you, but um, Mm. Mm. I actually have the tools to deal with that now Mm. through, I've learned through recovery. Do you know what I mean? And life's still.
1: Clarity, isn't it? It's having a clear, like all the decisions that you're making and exactly clarity rather than through a blur and regretting things after and
0: That's it. It doesn't getting sober doesn't fix your issues, but it gives you the clarity to fucking yeah. deal with them, which yeah. I now feel the full benefit of. Yeah. So yeah, life's not always fantastic, but I'm I'm certainly excited for the rest of life, which I never used to be. I never wanted to be alive and now I fucking love being alive, so
1: Oh, that's wonderful to hear, mate, especially listening back to this podcast, hearing how bad it got for you, you know, bloody turning yellow is a bit of a sign, isn't it, I think? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. You know? <laughs> but do you know what? Uh, my Instagram followers are probably sick to death of me um, posting pictures of churches on my page. Yeah. But I've I've got into just sitting in a church now at any time of the day yeah. in the quiet and and. I absolutely love it. So if you have got any gigs outside Cheshire, mate, let me know and I'll yeah. be the first one there. Because I think listening to a jazz band, I listened to, um, it, it's not exactly jazz, but Katie Mellier at the um, Albert Hall. Yeah. Uh, and it was one of the most beautiful gigs I've been to because it was so gentle and calm and it was just such a lovely experience. Yeah. You know, I was probably yeah, up in the head at the time, but she... <laughs> She <laughs> it, it, it is great, you know, and I remember She's wonderful that. Yeah, it's wonderful, and uh, yeah. So churches, to me, are, are a lovely space to to sit and and think about things. You know? Well, they're
0: so relaxing and peaceful, and there's a certain serenity about them you can't really find elsewhere. And for no. me, it's never again nothing to do with religion. It's just the surroundings. Yeah, of yeah. Stillness a it all.
1: It's beautiful. Well, look, Jack, it's been really, really amazing to have you on as a guest, and you're an amazing man. You're 29 years old, you're a year older than my son. So, am I? Yeah, ah. my, my son's <laughs> 29 in January, uh, and, and he's doing his own thing. He's a DJ, and he, he does a lot of skulldug yeah. in the middle of the night in the East somewhere, I don't know where. <laughs> Well, probably
0: asked...
1: into him. <laughs> yeah yeah he's, he's a proper character but it's been yeah. so lovely having you on mate and um, cheers dave yes, I, I know i'm though. gonna see you soon and um we can have a lemonade together and yes. uh, I'll be on the chat yeah oh, <laughs> all right cheers mate thanks ever so much mate Cheers, bye bye mate i hope you've enjoyed today's episode of one for the road please remember to subscribe and leave a review you can now download my app Sober Dave on the Apple and Google Play Store and on there you will find lots of tutorials, tips and support to help you stop drinking. And there are also meditation audios, food plans and chat forums. You can also find me on Instagram at Sober Dave. Please remember to join me for next week's episode. But until then... Thanks for listening and have a great week.